0: Good evening. Wow, there's the voice of God. How are we doing over there, Tim? Are we better, better, coming down, coming down? I get a lot louder than this, so how is that? It is good, though. Keep everybody awake. We're in good shape? All right, then we're going to pray for technology. Come on, people, pray hard. Ah, there it is. God is good all the time. Let's start out by sharing with you a story about a man named Harold. Um, every day Harold had a routine. He came down the stairs in the morning and he had breakfast with his wife. And they would sit around their little breakfast table and talk about the day and when things were done he would kiss her goodbye and get on the freeway and drive to work. She took care of the dishes, put the dishes away, watched TV for a little bit and they were off and running. They did this year after year after year and one morning Harold comes down And they sit down around their little table and they have their usual breakfast. Talk about the day. He kisses her goodbye, heads off on his way to drive on his way to work. She cleans up the dishes. And as she's at the sink watching the news, suddenly she notices or hears that there's an emergency going on. There's helicopters flying all over the place and emergency vehicles rushing in. So she watches the television. And the newscaster announces that someone has gotten on the freeway going the wrong direction. And it was Harold's freeway where she was frantic. So she picks up her cell phone and she dials it real quickly and fortunately, Harold answers. And he gets on the phone and she says, Honey, honey, be careful. Some idiot is driving the wrong direction on your freeway. And he says back to her, Oh dear, it's much worse than that. There are hundreds of them. it'll get there, come on, it's going, you get it, you got it, type in we're gonna be on a journey together this evening and for a little bit of time tomorrow and I, I hope and pray that at times on this journey you feel a little bit like Harold when you look at the world around you and you look at the culture in which we live you begin to think wow this is feels very much like we are going to need to drive the absolute opposite direction from the values of the culture in which we live. It's really pretty much that radical. So I'm just saying this early on to say, put on your seatbelt, strap yourselves in, and let's see what God would have us do as men and women committed to follow him and be faithful stewards. I'm real excited to be here. Um, I live in Spokane, Washington, and flew up Uh, this morning over the beautiful Canadian Rocky Mountains. It was a spectacular flight. If you've ever flown from here to Seattle in a small plane, it's kind of cool. And it's great to be with you here this evening. My question that I want to start out with is why are you here? And I'm here because Tom, a year ago, started setting this whole thing up. Tom is amazingly organized. Did you know that? Everybody happen to know that? And he's done a great job setting up this weekend. So I know why I'm here. I know why the Spirit of God has me here. I'd like to know why you're here. You're giving up a Friday evening and better part of the day Saturday unless I'm not very good and then you can figure out a reason to leave at noon but um, but most of the day Saturday what is it uh, about this topic about the promotion about the promise of what these days might hold what is it that brought you here And that's not a rhetorical question I really want you to tell me why you're here um, anybody give me some ideas what what are you hoping to get out of this next day and a half what brought you here To learn something new about stewardship. Great. What else? It's going to be a long night. What else? Why are you here? Yes. Okay. What it means to be generous. My boss told me I had to be here. Was that your wife or your boss? Your boss. Okay. Oftentimes they're the same person. What else? Any other reasons why you're here? What are you hoping to get out of this? What's, what did God put on your heart that said, I'm going to give up a Friday night and a Saturday? Thoughts? You sit in the front row, I'm going to start calling on you. <laughs> Anybody else? Tom? Tom told us to come. So we have a lot of obedient people here, which is a really good thing. All right. Last chance. Anybody else? Yes. After 22 years of being a Christian, still not sure how to let go uh, and let God control things. Yeah, great comment. Somebody else says something over here. Yes. Wow, okay, so you're discerning an opportunity. Okay, great, great. Yes. Say it one more time. To lead a better life. That's a really good reason to come to something, isn't it? Cool. All right. Any other thoughts? It's not painful. Anybody else? There you go. How to swim upstream. How to go the opposite direction of the world. Well, for whatever reason, thank you for sharing, by the way, but for whatever reasons you came, um, it's been my prayer, and I know the prayers of the people that have been organizing this, that the Holy Spirit be real present among us because um, we're going to unpack some pretty challenging topics, but I do think, and I'm going to go back to the comment in the back, I think there's a better life that we can be living than the life we're living now. I think that God is calling us with an opportunity to a richer experience with him than maybe we've ever known. And I hope in this little time that we have together that we can begin to get a glimpse of that. I've been praying that God would use my very, very simple words to maybe touch the hearts and the spirits of the people in this room and you would come away with something you could really hold on to and it can make a difference Saturday night, Sunday, Monday, and for the rest of your life. We pray that together? Let's do that. Gracious Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you that at the end of this busy week you have set aside this important time tonight and tomorrow. Lord, this only works if you are thick in this place. And I know you are. I know the presence of your Holy Spirit is here, Lord, and we just pray now that we can lean into that, that we can open our hearts and our spirits, Lord, that you can do the work that you need to do in us, that we may be better equipped and set free to live the life you created us to live. We give ourselves back to you for that purpose. We pray, Lord, with great faith that you will answer that prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I'd also like to get to know a little bit about you. So let me just ask a couple questions. Um, Pastors, how many pastors are here? A few? Okay, a few pastors. Good, good. Anybody work for a nonprofit organization? Work for a nonprofit? Hands up. Way up, way up, way up. Great, okay. People in the business community, do you work in business, own a business, have a business? Okay, great. Um, Academic, people from academic community. A few here, okay. Um, Not really sure what I do. (laughs) Hands up. Trying to figure life out right now. Okay, good deal. Any other big groups that I miss? I know a number of you are here um, as members of this church. If you're a member of this church, raise your hand. Oh, thank you so much. Look at that. Praise God. Wonderful. Okay. Let me share... Just a little bit about who I am and a little bit about my journey because it, it'll help kind of fill in what we're going to be talking about this idea of being set free to lead. Um, I'm a small town boy born and raised in Wyoming and that'll come into play here in just a minute. I grew up in the Northwest and in 1984 uh, at the age of five, no in 1984 I found myself entering into my first job in professional fundraising. It was with a Christian organization And I didn't know anything about it. I came out of marketing, and so I decided I would just start going to all the conferences and going to all the seminars, reading all the books, and trying to figure out what this whole field of fundraising was all about. I did that for about five or six years. And while I did that, all the conferences I went to and all the training that I took taught me that there's only really one way to do fundraising, and it's just kind of the way the world does it. There's a, there's, a, there's a known way to do it. And if you're a Christian and you want to do fundraising, then you do what the world does and you put a Bible verse on it. And you talk about Jesus, but pretty much you do it the way the world does it. That was only one model for raising money for the kingdom of God. And for a while, that was okay. I started taking some classes in theology from, from Fuller, Um, and toward the end of that time began to become very uncomfortable. I thought, something is wrong with this picture. In every other area of our ministry, we're trying to be Christ-centered. We're trying to be led by the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet when it comes to our fundraising, it's just do it like the world, but mention Jesus. And I'm I'm not being facetious. That really was what we were taught. In 1989, I went away to Scotland, took my family, a wife and three kids, and um, did a master's and a Ph.D. in theology. I came back in 1992 to Eastern Baptist Theological Seminary, one of God's great jokes, by the way, to take a small-town Wyoming boy and put him in a big inner-city seminary in Philadelphia. Big culture shock. And while I was there, I went back into the development world, and the problem became a crisis, I could no longer understand why we were dealing with money and fundraising and finances in a way that was totally developed on secular values when we were doing it in the context of doing work for the kingdom of God. So a small group of us began writing and thinking about what would it mean if we started with a blank slate? What would it mean if we came to the enterprise of fundraising and all we had was scripture? if we took the values of the kingdom of God seriously, if we took what Jesus said about money seriously and said, how do we build a fundraising program based on what the Bible says we should know about money and giving and asking and generosity? And we began a process of rethinking this whole area in which we were working. Well, then another thing happened to me, and that is I was asked to become president of the seminary. And so to this equation of theology and giving and fundraising, which is a really weird mixture anyway, came this whole area of leadership. What does it mean now to lead in a way that's God-pleasing and in a way that aligns with our understanding of what it means to be a faithful steward? For the last 10 or 12 years, I've been trying to figure all that out. And I've been writing and speaking I'm talking to a lot of great people. I've been working with a lot of nonprofit leaders across the country, and now I've been fortunate to do it in a number of countries around the world. And I can tell you that we are all still on the journey. We're all still trying to be faithful in what it means to be a leader and to be a steward in the kingdom of God. And tonight, you are part now of this journey. I'm not here with a lot of answers. I'm not here with a lot of what to do's and prescriptive lists and go do these five things and you're going to be just fine. I'm, I'm here in, the, in process. Anybody else here in process tonight? Okay, so we're okay together being in process? Okay, good. Because um, I really do want this to be a dialogue. I, I prayed when I came here that I would learn as much from you as I would be able to bring to you. So, I'm going to do some presentation but we're going to have some time to, to talk about some of these issues because um, this is a journey and I'm, gonna, I'm excited to share where we are on it and to invite you into it. So you ready to go? Okay. Yeah, well, you don't have any choice, so you better be here. About two years ago, and I'm going to say God laid on my heart. I hope that's okay theologically with everybody here. Um, But I do believe God laid on my heart this idea of how do we take everything that we've been talking and learning about and putting it in a structure that can help people really get their hands around it. And what he gave me was this idea of seven keys to becoming not only a faithful steward, but becoming a faithful steward leader. And I'll talk about the difference of that here in just a minute. And what we're going to talk about tonight and tomorrow are these seven keys that really are the seven keys, as it says, of becoming an effective steward leader, but they're the seven keys that set us free to be the people that God called us to be. Tonight, we're going to do number one and two, and everything else we're going to do is based heavily on what we do tonight, so this is a really fundamental evening that we get a sense of understanding this. Tomorrow, we'll do um, the other five, and as well as a couple of other things, but what I'd like to have you do is take your your, uh, notes, if you would, and if you just lay it flat where it opens up where the staples are can you go to the very center where the staples are everybody get there kind of does it naturally and then turn one page one more page and you're going to see on the right it should say the steward of life plan does everybody have that have I lost anybody yet steward of life plan this is my this is my takeaway for you this is what I pray can help make an impact um, on you as you leave and think about this for the for the rest of your time and the rest of your life So you can put your name and your date on here and you can read the format and purpose when you want to. But if you turn to the next page, you'll see that on each page, there's what we call a track. So track number one on the left is this first key that we're going to be talking about. And it gives you an opportunity to respond to a a place of kind of some confession where you can come before the Lord and share with him where your heart is, some commitments that you can make, and a daily discipline. There are seven of these. And when you get to the back, you'll find that there's a place for you to synthesize and summarize all seven of them on just a page and a half. And it ends with a prayer. So as we go through this time together, I'm going to give you opportunities to spend a few minutes of filling this out. Or I'm going to ask you to go back to your room um, or your devotions tomorrow morning and spend some time filling this out. um, Because this is what I pray you can take away, that, that God can use day by day to give you the disciplines to help you live the life that he created you to live. So just a note about that. The rest of this little booklet, this wonderful little booklet that Tom put together, is uh, just the notes if you want to follow along where we're going. Okay. Oh, yay, look at that. So, key number one. The The first key is moving from owner to steward. Now let me say for a minute why I'm using the term key. And this is one of the problems about air travel, is I have a wonderful visual aid at home. And it is a big, heavy chain. Weighs about 18 pounds. Very hard to get on your carry-on. People at the airport security get real nervous about these things, so I I left this one at home. Um, But if you can imagine putting on yourself Not only one heavy chain and locking it with a lock, but I believe that we walk around in this life with about seven heavy chains that bind us, that keep us from being the people that God created us to be. And really, these seven keys are just ways in which God can come into your life, unlock locks, and let these chains fall off of you. The, the picture that I want you to visualize as we go through this is this process of watching one by one chains fall and giving you a renewed sense of freedom, maybe more freedom than you've ever known in your life. Those are the keys that we're going to be handed as we go through this next day and a half. Okay? You get that mental image? That's good. I didn't bring my chain. Okay, number one is unlocking the shackles... Of ownership, and say a few words here about what, what I've learned from the past. And I was sharing earlier with some guys over here that most of the things I've learned in life, I've learned from the mistakes that I've made. Anybody relate to that? In fact, I probably wrote most of a book based on the things that I learned from the mistakes that I've made. But it's important to look back in our lives, isn't it? And find out what, what God was doing and where we heard him and where we didn't, where we went right and where we went wrong. So here's just a few things, four areas of personal challenge. When I look back on my life and when I talk with leaders around the country who are struggling, and we are in a bit of a leadership crisis right now, when I talk to leaders who are struggling, they kind of come up with the same set of, of challenges. And see if any of these relate to you. We go through this. The first, it was a loss of intimacy with God. And that was produced in my life because I allowed doing to dominate being in my life. As a seminary president, I was so busy doing the work that God called me to do that I didn't have any room for God to do the work he wanted to do in me. Do you hear that? We get so busy doing God's work that we don't have the time or the space or the ability in our life to let God do the work that he does in us. And it's easy in a leadership position to have a loss of intimacy with God. Uh, Measuring results in what and not who. Uh, We'll talk a lot about this, but in ministry we tend to measure results an awful lot in what we do, what we produce, and not in who we're becoming. How do you measure success in your own life? Do you measure success on what you accomplish and what you get done? What you're able to cross off, what you're able to, what goals you're able to achieve, or is your success in life based on who you're becoming, as a child and a follower of Jesus Christ? When we focus on the what and not the who, we can lose a sense of closeness and intimacy with God. Driven by the expectations of, wor- of the world based on worldly metrics, driven by the fact that the world is telling us what success looks like. The world is telling us that success means having so much money and so much freedom and so much control in our lives and be able to have the kind of house we want to have and send our kids to the college we want to have. The world is just throwing metrics at us and saying, this is what success looks like. The more we believe it, the less intimacy we have with God. That was my my experience. The second challenge was a shift in self-identity to role and title, and I'm going to talk a lot about this tomorrow, so I'll be kind of quick here, but when it was seeking affirmation of our identity through our work. One of the challenges in leadership is that we become identified with our title instead of being identified with Christ. And when we do, we start down kind of a slippery slope. Becoming more susceptible to criticism and more desirous of applause. One of the, one of the, the, the outcomes of of owning your job, one of the outcomes of of being tied to your job is that you become very critical, you become very sensitive to criticism because you're criticizing not just my job, you're criticizing me as a person and therefore also more desirous of applause. It's one of the challenges we have as leaders. Again, a lot more about this tomorrow. Um, Decisions were tainted with image preservation. Any of us in here challenged with making decisions based on what's going to preserve my image? What's going to make me look the best? What's going to keep me from losing face? One of the, fault, one of the pitfalls of leadership, if we're not careful. The third area is how we dealt with people. Uh, people became more a means to organizational ends. And again, I'm just this is my own sort of personal confession. It's always good to confess in front of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, people become more, uh, more uh, valued for how they can help us achieve something rather than who they are. It's one of the challenges sometimes we face of leadership. We become so focused on outcomes and accomplishments that people are valued for what they produced. Um, It reflected this doing bias of my worldview and the need for outcomes of my self-image. The whole thing kind of ties together. Sought to form people into productive workers, actually images of my own approach to work. When leaders get to this point where they're driven by success, we can oftentimes shape the people that work for us so that they do exactly what we need them to do because we need them to be successful and we need them to be for our own self image. It becomes kind of a slippery slope. And the final area is how much time or how much the issue of money dominated everything we did. Have you ever worked for a nonprofit and and money just dominated everything you did? Or worked for a church and money was always the topic? We struggled with this faith versus responsibility tension. Do we step out in faith and do things that God will help us to do, or are we really responsible for the way we spend our money? There's a tension there that we struggled with. Scarcity mentality. um, Never fully trusting God to be the provider. And we'll talk a lot more about this. But, you know, God tells us, if you trust me and you obey me, I'll take care of you doesn't he? Is that right? Is that an amen? Come on, come on. Nine years at a Baptist seminary, I need more than that. Is that an amen? If you trust me and you obey me, I'll take care of you. How much different would our life look if we really believe that? Well, at an organizational level, it makes a huge difference. Sometimes we act like we believe it, but we really don't and we worried about it, we felt handcuffed by it, we even felt angry over it Uh, again, money dominating, kind of everything that you can do and think so these are just some symptoms of what happens when leaders kind of get off track and it takes us to the beginning of what we're going to call here this extraordinary journey of the faithful steward I love this picture here's this backpacker ready to go he or she's got their backpack on, they're looking off into the horizon they have a wonderful journey ahead of them but it's not easy A lot of ups and downs, a lot of craggy places, Um, but this is the journey that we're about to embark on. So a little bit about theological methodology. I did this for how many people here from academia? Hands up? Okay, all the rest of you can play Sudoku on your phone if you want to, Um, but just real quickly, a, a couple words about theological methodology, which is kind of important. The focus of this whole journey is on the who and not the how. It's not about how do I become a more faithful steward. It's about who is Jesus Christ? What does that mean for me as a follower? It's a very different question. It's not a list of things that you're going to be able to go from here and say, if I do these six things, I'll be a more faithful steward. Instead, it's inviting us into a closer and deeper relationship with Christ and letting the Holy Spirit work through that, that we might be different people. Uh, it's transformational before it's vocational. That means it changes us, who we are, before it changes what we do. Uh, consistency throughout. I had to put some Latin in here just because, you know, it's, you, you paid to come here. And so um, I had to put some Latin in here. So here's a great Latin term for you if you ever want to throw it around at a, at a dinner party. Um, fides corin's intellectum. And it really is kind of cool, just for a second. So I'll give a little side on. It, it means faith-seeking after understanding. And as Christians, it's so important in this day and age. Boy, I could do a little theology lecture here, but I'm not going to. But it's so important in this day and age that we understand the importance of that direction. Because what it says is we are people who start with faith in Jesus Christ. And from that certainty, we're going to go out and seek the understanding of the questions of the world around us. You see? See the direction? We start with faith. And from a position of faith, we ask the great questions of the world around us. Well, what's the opposite of that? Well, it would be understanding, seeking after faith. It would be saying, when I can understand it, I'll believe it. Do you know people like that? Yeah, if I can understand why God does those things, then I'll believe him. If I can understand what the Bible says, well, then maybe I'll start reading it. And our faith says, no, no. Our methodology is we we believe Christ has compelled us And we believe in Christ. And from there, we go to seek understanding. You remember the story in the Bible where um, Jesus gives a very hard teaching on eating his body and drinking his blood. And and like almost everybody that follows him leaves. They all just leave. And the disciples come to him and they're kind of bewildered. And he looks at him. You remember what he says to him? We say to him? Are you going to go too? And their response is beautiful. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? you have the words of eternal life first it's faith seeking after understanding you gotta be committed to that methodology and finally spirit led which means it'll always have a lot of humility but also a sense of confidence God doesn't leave us waffling around he wants us to know and know for sure and have a sense of certainty that we can go into this world and really live for him so a few words about the methodology that kind of flows around this all right Here's the the five major questions that we're going to talk about that are going to mark our journey. And you're, don't go running out. Stay with me here. The first one is, who is God and who are we? And I know that most of you woke up this morning going, gosh, I wish somebody would tell me who God is. But it's an important question. We're We're going to take it up tonight. Who is God and who are we in the context of this idea of being a faithful steward? Secondly, why were we created? We're going to just go back and look a little bit at Genesis and rethink a little bit the creation story. Third, what did Christ do for us from a stewardship standpoint? Fourth, well, then how should we live? What should our lives look like? Should they be different? Should they be better? And fifth, kind of a weird question, where are we to live? So these five questions, let's, let's take them on. We're going to talk a little theology. Everybody okay with that? Big stretch, had your coffee? Deep breath? <gasps> Sit up straight? Okay, let's jump in first question is who is God and of course that's what God looks like right so make sure we all have a good picture of God we've all pictured God and that's that's what he's going to look like the first point here to be made is that the heart of God has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ can I get an amen for that the heart of God has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ that is one of the great statements that we could ever make as children of God we know the heart of the creator of the universe isn't that amazing not only that but god's nature and his purpose are self-revealed truths what is it what is god's nature what does he want what's his purpose on earth we don't have to go around trying to figure it out because he came down and he showed it to us didn't he he said this is my heart this is my nature, this is what I want from you, this is what I, everything we need to know about who God is and what he wants from us, he came down and gave to us and showed to us. Well, here's three conclusions I draw from this. The first one is that our God is triune. One of the primary doctrines that make us Christians and that set us apart from the rest of the world is we believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? Three persons, one God, don't worry about trying to figure the thing out. There's no kind of egg or steam or water or any kind of analogy that's going to do it. We believe it by faith. Because Jesus came and he said, this is what God looks like. He looks like me, the son, who worships the Father in the power of the Spirit, and yet we're all one God. Well, there's an important piece about this that really is maybe one of the more important things that, that, I'm, that I hope you can grasp a hold of. Our God in his very nature is relationship, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the way that Jesus revealed the the, the Trinity to us is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they live in an interdependent relationship with one another. So when we think about God, the God that we worship, we're worshiping a God who is defined by his very nature as being in relationship. Everybody okay with that? No heresy so far? Okay. It's a very important point. Because you and I were created in the image of that God. Which tells us an awful lot about how we're to live our lives, isn't it? So the first thing we know from Jesus' self-revelation of God's heart is that our God is triune. The second one is that our God is faithful. He is worthy of our trust. If there's anything that Jesus came to tell us is to say, God loves you. He is for you. You can trust him. Put your life in his hands, right? Our God is for us. That's good news. And the final one is that God is full of grace and truth. The takeaway that I have from this is this idea of certainty. And my friends, don't miss this. This is such an important point for us. We have the opportunity to go out these doors and out into Edmonton, and across Canada, and across the world, into a world that is trying to figure out what they can depend on, and we can tell them that we know who God is, and we know it with certainty. We know who God is, we know who we are, we know why we're here, and we know where we're going, amen? That is worth rejoicing for. That's worth the price of admission, just being reminded of that. Rejoice, you know the heart of God. You can live with certainty in this world because you know who God is. I get excited about that. Well, if that's who God is, if we, can be, if we can have that level of certainty, then the second question is, well, then who are we made in God's image? Well, first of all, we know that we're image bearers of this triune, faithful, and loving God. We're to live in this world and show the world who this God is by the way in which we live, which means we were created for relationships. It means that we were created to trust And this is a hard lesson. Let me just share this with you real quickly. Have any of you ever been at a time in your life? Now think about this for a minute. Have you ever been at a time in your life where you had to trust God almost for your next breath? Where you didn't know if you were going to get through another day if God didn't help you get there? Have you ever been there? Can you think about that time? When trust was raw and real just to get me through? that is exactly how we're supposed to live every day. That was a shocker when somebody told me that. We're supposed to live every day of our life in such total trust in God that we count on him day by day, minute by minute to sustain us. That's the norm. That's what he wants. That's how he created us, was to trust him. We were created to serve, to love our neighbor as God loves us. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. If that's who God is, and if that's who we are, if that's our created reality, and how he wants us to walk through this world, what do we know about why, we're, why we were created? And let's go back for a minute and take a look um, about what it means to be image bearers of God. And we're going to talk about four spheres of relationship in which we were created, which is really the, the structure of the rest of our time together. So here are these four spheres in which we're created. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and you all know the story really well of Adam and Eve and the creation of the world and the rest. And you'll find that God created us to live in four different areas of relationship. Okay? So here we go. First one is relationship with God. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the evening. Isn't that neat? We get to do that someday. We just hang around with God in the cool of the evening. They were so close to him, so intimate with him. He just hung out with him. The relationship with God is the first level which he created us. He wants that to be whole and perfect. He also created us, and this is something that evangelicalism has not done a very good job with, so maybe this is somewhat foreign to you, but he created us to have a relationship with ourself. That is, he created us to understand who we are, why we're here, what our purpose in life is, and where we're going. Adam and Eve didn't have to go out and find themselves. They knew why God created them, why he put them in the garden. They had certainty in their spirit of who they were. That was God's design. Third is we were certainly created for a relationship with our neighbor. Adam and Eve loving one another to give ourselves wholly and sacrificially to one another. That beautiful scene that we have in Eden of what it means to live together in harmony. And finally, we know we were created for relationship with the creation around us the very first act of God after he creates humanity is he puts him in the garden and says get to work get to work some of us might wish he'd have done something different I wish he would have taken Adam and put him in a creek and handed him a five weight fly rod and said go fish go fish or give him a five iron and put him on a fairway and say hit it straight but he didn't did he He put us in a garden and said, get to work. Work with me, co-work with me, and take care of this beautiful creation. That's the picture that we have of what God's intent was in creation. And in the midst of all this is this idea of a faithful steward. That Adam and Eve were simply told, look, I created all of this for you. I love you. Just have a ball. Take care of it. Love me, love one another, love yourself, love creation, take care of it. I have an organization, friends of ours, that they like to conclude from all of this that God's original intent was to hang out in a garden with a bunch of naked vegetarians. <laughs> well, that's kind of true, isn't it? And they just, that was, that's, what he, that's how he created us. So let's go back and just recapture what that must have felt like to just be in those relationships, whole and full and complete and sinless, and everybody just loving everybody, loving God, loving creation pretty neat isn't it that was god's created intent well if that's the case then i think we need to reconsider what christ did for us on the cross i don't get blown away by this little diagram here but i just love this diagram so i'm gonna walk you through it here you know, just in a minute pretty self-explanatory but just take a look at it moving from left to right on the left hand side of the diagram we've got this understanding what we just talked about humanity created beautifully in all four areas for relationship, living fully in Eden. And then comes the fall. And in the fall, we know from, from, from Scripture, it brought brokenness in our relationships, didn't it? What I want to make sure we understand tonight, we grasp a hold of tonight, because this took me a long time for, I'm not very smart to figure all this out, and that is that the brokenness that sin came, uh, that when it came into our lives, it brought brokenness at every single level at which God had created us. The relationship with God was broken, wasn't it? Adam and Eve, first thing that happened after they sinned is they what? They hid. They used to hang out with God in the garden. Now they're hiding, shaking behind a bush because they're terrified to even come face to face with Him. The relationship with God was terribly broken. Their relationship with himself had to have been broken. All of a sudden, for people who were created just to hang out with God and tend the garden, they find themselves estranged with God, yelling at one another and outside the garden. That's a pretty big blow to your self-understanding of who you are and why you're here. Sin brought brokenness in our understanding of who we are. It brought brokenness, certainly, in our relationship with our neighbor. What's the first story after Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden? Very first story. Yeah, it takes like five verses of chapter 4, Cain kills Abel. And we're off and running. And finally, it certainly brought brokenness in our relationship with creation. God tells Adam, this isn't going to be easy anymore. You're going to go out and dig in the ground. There's going to be weeds, the sweat of your brow. Animals all of a sudden weren't nearly as friendly as they were in Eden. Everything changed in terms of our relationship with creation. Genesis 3 brought brokenness in every area in which God beautifully created us to be with him. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. The cross of Jesus Christ brought reconciliation in every place that sin brought brokenness. Is that right? You read Romans chapter 5, and it's beautiful in there. Paul says over and over again, if sin brought this into the world, how much more did the blood of Christ overcome all of that sin? And so, when we look at this diagram, we can see that not only at the first level, which is very evangelical for all of us, we know that in the blood of Christ, we were brought near to God, right? We were reconciled with God. We can now draw with confidence before the throne of grace all these wonderful things that let us know that our relationship with God has been healed. But I don't want us to miss tonight that our relationship with ourself was also healed. I mean, in Christ, we now have been given back this wonderful sense that you're a child of God. You're a redeemed, saved child of God. You now have a new vocation, a new purpose, a new reason for living, a new understanding of where you're going. Isn't that cool? Everybody say yes. Yeah, that is a wonderful thing. So our relationship with ourself has been healed in Jesus Christ and given back to us. Our relationship with our neighbor has been healed. We're now called to love our neighbors. We love ourselves and to serve our neighbor and take care of our neighbor that's been healed in Christ and given back to us. And our relationship with the world around us has been, has been healed. We've been, we've been called back to the, to the job and the role of being stewards of this creation that groans and waiting to be set free at the end times. We are restored as caretakers of God's creation. So everything that was lost in the fall was redeemed by the blood of Christ, fully healed and restored, and now, and this is the kicker, And now God comes to you and me and he says to us, this life that I want you to live, this redeemed, healed, restored life at every level in which you live, it's a gift. You lost it. I bought it back for you. It's not yours. But I'm giving it to you as a gift. Take care of it. Be a steward of this life. Because it's not yours. You see it? You see it? Everything we know of our relationships at every level are gifts given back to us because of what Christ did for us. Okay so far? If that's the case, then how... And where are we to live? I'll answer these two questions together. As God's people, we are created to reflect the image of God, our creator, through whole redeemed relationships in all four spheres, bringing glory to God and practicing in each the ongoing work of the faithful steward. How else can we live but be stewards? It's not ours, right? We lost it. Christ brought it back for us. And God, in his love for us, gives it to us and says, be a good steward of every area of your life because I bought it for you and I want you to have it. And that's our call to be stewards. It's a relationship with God, with ourselves, with our neighbor, with creation. It is completely holistic. And so this is the term I'm going to use for it. Godly stewards seek to be one kingdom people. What is a one kingdom person? First of all, are we okay talking about the kingdom of God? Okay, here, kingdom of God? One kingdom people are people who put everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Everything in one kingdom with one Lord. Well, first of all, why wouldn't you do that? Because it's all his anyway, isn't it? And we just say that? It's all his. And so we take the totality of our life that Christ has given back to us, and we lay it at Jesus' feet and we say, Lord, this is all yours. My life, my time, my breath, my money, my my relationships, my family, my job, my future, my health, everything I am, everything I, I, I will ever be, it's all completely yours. And you are the only Lord of this whole life. That is a one kingdom person. Is that where our heart is? Is that where we want to be? Everything submitted and surrendered to him? If so... And I think this is kind of what it looks like. It's full surrender, isn't it? Absolutely full surrender. It's all yours, God. I have a little symbol that I'm going to share with you. And I'm going to encourage you, and this is going to sound kind of silly, but I'm going to encourage you to go home and, and, and uh, create one of these for yourself. Because I have found it to be a great visual reminder of what all this means. And I did bring this through security. I'm not sure they knew I brought dirt from the United States. But anyway... We won't tell them that. It's just a simple jar of dirt. I would encourage you to go home. People think you're nuts. But find a a jar, a good-sized jar like this. Go out and just fill it with any old kind of dirt. Put a top on it and set it someplace where every single day you see it. Now, why would I ask you to put together a jar of dirt? Well, here's why. It symbolizes two very important things. First of all, it symbolizes where we started all right go back to genesis how did god create humanity form them from a mound of dirt right any of you into genealogy if you trace your ancestors back far enough you will end up with dirt we all go here this is where it started isn't it god took dirt And he created the entire, what would be the entire human race. This is where we started, with simple dirt. The other reality is that this is where we'll end. Isn't it? I mean, in the end, the worms win, right? We're all going to end up as dirt. This is how we started. This is how we ended. And my friends, in between dirt and dirt... It's all His. It's all His. I want you to just say it one time with me together. It's all His. Okay, say it again. That wasn't very good. It's all His. Right? That's the symbol. And if you look at this every day, it might help you begin to understand a little bit about this freedom from dirt to dirt. So this then is the definition of the faithful steward that we're going to use a faithful steward is a follower of Jesus Christ who has been set free to live as a one kingdom person in every area of life only one Lord it's all his when we unlock the shackles of ownership we begin to know freedom at all four levels and we're going to talk about that freedom here in just a moment Before I move on, let me ask if there's any questions. Any thoughts on this? Is that a helpful definition of what it means to be a steward? Yes? No? Okay. If we can get this image in our mind of the totality of what God calls us to be as stewards, we can begin this journey together of how do we live that out as a faithful steward. so key number two unlocking the shackles of control let me ask you a question and this is a trick question I'll tell you right off the bat we just described what it means to be a one kingdom person with everything in our totally in our lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ right everything totally submitted to him how many of you in the room tonight are living day by day as a completely surrendered one kingdom person hands up told you the question i'm not i can tell you that and the question is why not if if this is the promise if being one kingdom people everything submitted to christ living the joyous free life that he has for us why are not we doing it i could ask myself that almost every day why aren't you living the life that god has for you Well, let me see if I can provide a framework to help us understand the challenge that we're up against. Because you see, we didn't talk a lot about Genesis chapter 3. And we need to come back and think a little bit about what really happened in the garden. Great picture of the snake, isn't it? So, let's go back and think about this temptation again. Eve, walking through the garden, comes across the, the serpent or the enemy in whatever form that the enemy took. And they have this dialogue between each other. And think for a minute with me what the enemy says. The first thing he says, he asks her a question. And he says this, Did God really say to you, Eve, that you couldn't eat of any tree or anything in the garden? You can't eat any of this stuff? And Eve says, Well, no. That's not what he said. He said we can eat of anything in the garden. It's all ours. Except that one tree in the middle. Oh, so what's God holding back? You can't eat of that tree? I wonder why. You see, by getting her to focus on the fact that there was this tree in the middle that, that they couldn't eat from, began to plant a doubt in Eve's mind. God had come to Adam and Eve. Think about this. God had come to Adam and Eve, and he said, just like he says to you and I every day, I only want what's good for you. I only want what's good for you. So take what I give you and trust me that this is what's good for you. And if there's something I don't give you, then trust me, it's not good for you. Does he say that to us every day? I close some doors, don't I? I say, I'm not going to give you something. We pray for years for something, and he doesn't answer that prayer. And he's saying to us, it's not good for you. Will you trust me that I only want what's good for you, and I'll give you what's good for you, and if it's not good for you, then leave it alone. I believe that the enemy got Eve to begin to doubt the goodness of God. Why would God hold back from us? Why would God not let us eat from that tree? I never thought about that before. But now that you put it that way, it is kind of odd that we can't eat of that one tree. I wonder what we're missing out on. I wonder what God's holding out on us for. All kinds of questions that he puts in our mind. Well, he goes a little bit further. He goes, oh, Eve, it's much better than that. You see, it's not that anything's going to happen to you if you eat of that tree. If you actually eat of that tree, your eyes are going to be opened. You're gonna, you, you darn right. God is withholding from you because He knows that if you eat of that tree, you're going to see things He doesn't want you to see, and it's really great. And He gets Eve to begin to act to question the trust, her trust in God. Up to that point, she had trusted Him for everything, and suddenly, maybe God's not so trustworthy. Otherwise, why he, if my eyes are going to be opened, why wouldn't he let our eyes be opened? We're really missing out on something here. Maybe not only isn't God fully good, maybe he can't totally be trusted. And when he has her there, he brings in the third one. And this is a zinger, isn't it? I tell you, Eve, what's really going to happen? You're not going to die. Not only aren't you going to die, but Eve, oh Eve, you'll be like God. You'll be like God. Really? Really? I get to be just like God? I get to choose right from wrong? Think about this for a minute. I get to choose for myself what's right or wrong. I get to choose for myself what's good or bad. I, I get to make all those decisions. I get control completely? And that was the enemy's promise to Eve, wasn't it? That you get a chance... To be the Lord, listen to this now, to be the Lord in place of God. And what we see here is the rise of what we call the second kingdom. The second kingdom is everything in our lives where we decide we want to play the Lord. It's everything in our lives where we decide we want control and not give it up to Jesus Christ. We build little kingdoms and we put the stuff in our kingdoms that we want to hold on to. Well, what does that look like? Um, In my life, I've got several things in my own little kingdom. Um, Sometimes I like to put my time in my kingdom. I don't really like to give my time over to God's control. I'd like to control that, thank you. Sometimes we put our reputation in our own little kingdom. Sometimes we put our relationships in our kingdom. We put our health in our kingdom. We certainly can put our finances, can't we, and our resources in our kingdom. Anything that you're withholding from the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ is something that you have put in your own little kingdom. And who's the lord of that kingdom? We are, right? We are. So let me ask you here this evening, can you right now visualize in your mind what your own little kingdom looks like? Can you do it? I need you to do it so be honest with yourself what are the things that you're holding on to tonight that you have not completely totally given over to the lordship of Christ what are the things you still want to control what are the things you're still holding on to if you need a little help figuring out what they are here's a way to do it at least this works for me anybody have any stress tonight any anxiety in your life Any fear in your life? Any deep concerns or dread? What I have found, my friends, and this is just as honest as I can be, what I have found is that every single time I feel stress or fear or anxiety or dread, if I trace that feeling back to its origin, it is always something in my kingdom. Always. I have never surrendered something to Jesus Christ and had it turn around and caused me fear or stress or anxiety. The things we hold on to will, will cause those things in us. So everybody have their own little kingdom? Everybody willing to admit to it? See it? Identify it? Well, I have some good news for you. There's a reward for those of us who like to build second kingdoms. You see, uh, the, build, the kingdom we build that beckons us to be owners, that says this is mine. By the way, anybody have any kids here that are about two or three, four years old, something like that? Anybody? Yeah. Have they ever said the word mine? Did you teach them that? Isn't that amazing? Where does that come from? We teach our kids to share, and yet inside of us, it's this mine. Hold on to it. Don't share. We struggle with it all of our lives, and now as adults, we're trying to do the same thing in a much bigger world of stuff that's out there. So the reward, for those of us who like to build our kingdoms and hold on to things our side really tightly, we get rewarded with absolute bondage. And now we're starting to put on those chains that I was talking about. If you don't believe that ownership brings bondage, buy a boat. The things we own. We buy things, we insure things, we protect things. We upgrade things, we worry about things, we mate, put maintenance on things, we buy licenses for things, we put insurance on things, and we worry about things. And they put us in bondage. And it's not just stuff, it's relationships. Parents, we can own our children. We can absolutely have an ownership mentality toward our children where we worry about absolutely everything that happens and we hold on to them really tight and we don't let them go. Because they're ours. And we need to remember that God loves them more than we do. Right? Whatever it is that we put in that kingdom rewards us with bondage. I just want you to feel that for a minute because it's such a, a, a present reality in most everybody's life. But there is good news. Because the kingdom of God that calls us to be godly stewards obviously sets us free. Every time we take something that's in our kingdom... And we are able to t- turn around and wholly and fully submit it back to Jesus Christ and let Him be Lord of it. It's just like a big chain just falls off of us. And we get set free. Do you believe that? believe that? Have you ever felt that in your life? Really relinquish something that's been a burden to you back to Christ and just feel that freedom that we have? He wants that in everything in our life, He wants all of it, doesn't He? Because after all, should we say it again together? It's all his, right? So we can only play the owner. We can only pretend to be the owner. We can only set up fun, false little kingdoms and pretend that we're the Lord over it. Because it's really all his. But that is the lie of the enemy. And you know, my, my heart for every one of you tonight is that you'd be able to go, here from, go from this place tonight and look the enemy in the eye and say you are no longer going to put me in bondage I am no longer going to play the Lord over my own kingdom I am tired of the stress and the fear and the doubt and the frustration and the despair that comes with it I'm going to be set free in Jesus Christ and you are not going to have this control over me again that's the journey and my friends it's a battle of our lives we'll probably never fully accomplish it My guess is that every one of us will go to the grave still struggling with something in our second kingdom. But we can have victory. Day by day, week by week, we can have victory in Jesus Christ over those things in our kingdom and know the freedom that he has for us. It's a battle of submission or control. It's a battle of freedom or continuing in bondage. It's a battle of being a steward because it's all his, or playing the owner. In the end, really, it's all about lordship. It's all about who is going to be the absolute lord of every part of our life. It's not a destination, but it's a journey of transformation. It is the journey of the faithful steward. I believe every one of you here tonight are on that journey. Every one of you here tonight are being formed and shaped into the person that God created you to be. And a part of that is the journey to become a one kingdom, fully submitted follower of Jesus Christ, where you can really say in your heart, it's all His. I'm not playing the Lord anymore. This is a step in the journey. One of the things we're going to talk about tomorrow is as you look around this room, you're all fellow travelers. We're all on it together. And we need to help each other. We need to pray for each other. We need to support each other. We need to encourage each other. This is a really hard journey. Because the enemy is just throwing stuff at us every day. The culture that we live in. Isn't the culture we live in raising up the second kingdom as the kingdom? It says, own more, amass more, control more, and you'll be happy? The whole culture around us wants us to be big-time second kingdom builders. That's why we're like Harold, going the opposite direction and saying in a world that measures worth by how much we have, we are going to measure the value of life by how much we give away. And we're going to know freedom. Isn't that cool? That's my heart for for you tonight, that you take some steps on that journey. To know a little bit more about that freedom and then continue it and find people that can walk with you and encourage you and pray for you as every day we try to be more faithful stewards. And so in these four spheres, we're going to look over the next tomorrow about what it means to live um, in the presence of God. Uh, We're going to talk about intimacy with God in the first sphere. We're going to talk about what it means to look in the mirror and understand what it means to be a steward of our own self-image because we have to steward these things. We're going to look at what it means to be a steward of our relationships with the people around us, and we're going to look at what it means to be a steward of creation and the greater world, because that's the holistic sense in which God created us to be faithful stewards. And in every one of those, we'll have opportunities to give things out of our kingdom and give them back to Christ. So, tonight, this is my invitation for each of you, and it's just beautiful scripture, you all know these scriptures, but I hope tonight maybe they'll have a little different meaning for you. From John 8, 32 and 36, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Paul in 2 Corinthians says, now the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And in Galatians 5.1, he says as well, it is for freedom, I love this, talk about Paul trying to make a point, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't let the enemy put those old chains back on you. Don't pick them up and put them on yourself again by claiming ownership and lordship over parts of your life. Christ came to set us free. Live into it. So, What do we mean then by the faithful steward? The faithful steward is a follower of Jesus Christ who has been set free to live as a one kingdom person in every area of life. There's a twofold character to this. We are set free to live on all four levels and called to respond with joyful obedience. If you were to ask me, what does the life of a faithful steward look like? It's just simply those two words. Joyful obedience. Obedience. Lord, whatever you want. And the fact that I get to obey you is just pure joy. Take my life, whatever you want. Joyful obedience. So, for instance, in our relationship with God, we're free in our relationship with God to respond joyfully in worship and praise and adoration. In our relationship with ourself, we are free to respond joyfully by keeping our self-image in balance. We'll talk about this tomorrow. We're free in our relationship with our neighbor and we respond joyfully by loving our neighbor as ends and not means it's just a little preview. And we're free in our relationship to creation and we we respond joyfully by caring for God's creation. In each one of these four spheres we've been set free to live the life of the joyfully obedient steward. So, my question for you tonight, do you want to be free? Do you want to be free? Do you want to know that freedom deep in your spirit? And I would say, well, welcome to the journey. This is how we get there. Together, step by step, day by day, chain by chain, we walk this journey to be set free to be the people God created us to be. Before we pray, um, I'd like you to take a look at your booklet. And as you look at this this first, the first two sections, which would be Trek 1 and Trek Two, you can see there under Trek One, an opportunity for you to list those things that you believe are still part of your own kingdom. A good time for self-reflection and for um, some confession of what are those things we still hold on to that we just can't let go of. And then there's an opportunity for confession. And name the things that keep you from being a faithful steward. Um, I'm asking number three, from owner to steward, to write a definition of yourself as a faithful steward. What would be your definition of going through this life as a faithful steward? And then a couple of disciplines there, starting out with your jar of dirt. um, And then watching for the lies of the enemy. You know, I, I think we really, as God's people, have to be aware all the time of how the enemy just talks to us and calls us to that old life of bondage. Look for it, name it, denounce it. When we were raising our kids, we had a little game we played when we watched television about, about advertisements. And if there's an advertisement on television that claims something that we thought was, out, was, was um, not in line with what God would have us do, we, we, would, we would flat out say, It lies, that's a lie. And our kids used to love it. They'd watch all the commercials. And we like, no, no, it's a lie, it's a lie, you know? And sometimes we just need to do that with the enemy, don't we? We need to call him on it and say, stop it. No, that's not the life I'm going to live anymore. You've had me long enough. I'm going to be set free. And then in Trek number two, my second kingdom stuff, you can take a look at that. Uh, and there's an opportunity there to think about your commitment on all four of these levels, my relationship with God, with myself, with my neighbor, and with creation. And then finally a daily discipline there to pray each day, to die to the need, desire and control and to ask God to give you the faith and strength to step off your throne and rise again as a free and faithful steward. It was Martin Luther who gave us this great sense of a daily dying and rising where every morning we die to the old and we rise to the new. Kind of what this is about. So, I'm going to ask us to close together with a word of prayer. It's kind of the prayer of the of of this journey so let's um let's pray this together lord we are all second kingdom builders we confess to you our kingdom building ways we are all in bondage to worldly things we pray to you to set us free we submit everything we have and everything we are to the lordship of your one gracious kingdom Help us to serve only you with obedience and joy. In the name of the one who came to set us free, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Tom?
1: Uh, I, I feel like that just calls for a little bit of a response and maybe just some time to soak it in, talk with the Lord. Um, so why don't we stand and sing a song together? Let's just worship a little bit. Um, we've been sitting for a while, and, uh, and we'll just kind of ask God what he w- wants to say to us, how he wants to make that personal in our own lives. try say
2: team. What a great start tonight. Uh, and welcome to the journey, a journey to be set free, a journey of what God is doing in each of our lives. And it is a battle. We all know the battle that it is. Uh, I think it would be important to say that if you would like a place uh, of prayer, a quiet spot, uh, that you are so welcome to come to the front uh, as we dismiss for refreshments and uh, so if, if God's been stirring some things in your heart and you just like a quiet space, uh, please uh, feel like you could do that. There are goodies available, uh, and uh, enjoy some juice, some soda, some cookies, some squares, some fruit. Uh, and thank you to our kitchen team for arranging this for tonight. Just to know, lunch is provided for tomorrow, so no need to go and find a restaurant or bring a bag lunch. It's going to be provided here. And tomorrow morning is a very early start, 8.15 with our worship time and 8.30 with our first session. So uh, uh, the heart of the sower uh, starting at 8.30 tomorrow. So let's just pray together. Lord, thank you for for this evening, for bringing Scott to us, for allowing him to uh, minister to our minds and to our spirits. We just thank you, Lord, for what we've heard and the reflections that we've experienced in our own in our own selves. As we think about our own lives and the journey that you have us on and the the battle that we've been involved in we are so grateful we are so grateful that you call us to the one kingdom that you have redeemed us and bought us and brought us back to set us free so thank you. Uh, dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Enjoy coffee. If, there's, uh, if you'd like to have a quiet spot here, please feel free to come.